This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. There's nothing wrong with setting and achieving goals. You can be a hard worker. That's great. But if you have such an intense fear of failure or if you feel not good enough, if you don't accomplish something, then that's rocking your sense of self-worth. And I think that's where it crosses the line. And perfectionism can sometimes mask more unpleasant emotion. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the natural approach to menopause. We'll discuss getting beyond perfection. We'll find out how to prepare for backyard entertaining. And lastly, we'll explore the effects of aging on muscles, tendons, and bones. But first, a little bit of business. Is menopause putting a damper on the little things that make your day? Are you tired of dealing with hot flashes, mood swings, and sleep disruptions? New Roots Herbal can help you take control of those annoying symptoms so you can feel better and enjoy life to the fullest. Discover Menopeace, Maca Organic, and Sleep 8 from New Roots Herbal. They use only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. And you can find them at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Andrea Donsky, RHN, is a registered holistic nutritionist with 20 years experience in natural health and wellness. She's a co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and this show. How you doing, Andrea? I'm doing great, Jamie. How are you? Doing great. Summertime. Who can complain? Today, we're going to talk about menopause. To start off, can you give us a definition of menopause and then sort of explain the various, you know, sub-stages of it? Absolutely. So first of all, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about these days because I am officially in menopause and have been for a couple of years now, and I'm 51. So yeah, let me take you through the stages. So there's premenopause. So premenopause is any phase of a woman's reproductive life before she goes into menopause. So it refers to the years of a girl or a woman's life when she's having a menstrual cycle, her menstrual period. So whether they're regular or irregular, she can still get pregnant. So the body is producing estrogen and the ovaries are releasing eggs every month. Mm-hmm. Then there's perimenopause. Perimenopause is also known as the menopause transition, and it usually begins years before we actually go into menopause. So during perimenopause, a woman's ovaries gradually start to produce less estrogen. So compared to a regular 28-day cycle, estrogen levels start to fluctuate during perimenopause, and as a result of this fluctuation, it can cause irregular periods and other symptoms. And as we progress through perimenopause, our body makes less and less estrogen and progesterone. But it's still possible to get pregnant, so be sure if you're in this phase that you use birth control if you want to avoid getting pregnant. And perimenopause usually starts in our 40s, but I've heard women who are going through it as early as their 20s and 30s, which is you know, happening more and more, but it's not the norm. The average time frame of perimenopause is about four years, but it can last anywhere from 2 to 12. Before you jump ahead with perimenopause, you just mentioned that more women are sort of experiencing it earlier. Is that because it's easier to track now, or is there something changing in the way that we're living that's causing that phenomenon? You know, it's a great question, and it's also, you know, when we hear about kids who are going through puberty earlier, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure if there's a correlation. I haven't done the research into why. Actually, it's funny. I was just thinking the other day that I want to do more and more research into why, but I actually don't have that answer. Okay. After perimenopause comes... Menopause. So you're officially in menopause if you haven't had a period for 12 months. So it's technically one day. Actually, it's an interesting definition. So it's technically one day. 
and the ovaries stop producing eggs, and the body makes less estrogen and progesterone. So the majority of women go through menopause naturally between the ages of 40 and 58, and the average age for menopause in North America is 51 and a half. Hmm. And I gather when you say North America, it's different around the world? It is different around the world. There are certain countries around the world where they go through it earlier as well. Okay. So after that year is done, does that mean you're done with menopause? So not exactly. And there's different definitions. So after menopause, it's called postmenopause. Yep. So postmenopause is a period of time after menopause while hormone levels you know, while hormone levels fluctuate and go through the changes during menopause, they stay consistently low once our period completely stops. So it's the end of a woman's reproductive years. And when I talk about menopause, I often interchange the terms menopause and postmenopause since a lot of women still experience symptoms when they're postmenopause. So technically, the term postmenopause, yeah, exactly, it's different than menopause, but a lot of women still have the symptoms. Like symptoms can last you know, anywhere from two to 20 years for some women, right? So a lot of women will say, oh, I'm not in menopause anymore, but they'll still have symptoms and they may not correlate it back to being in menopause. So for the sake of ease and for the education that I'm doing, I just say, you know, menopause, and I kind of use it as a blanket term for menopause and postmenopause. And and just a quick note, there's also medically induced menopause where menstruation stops after the ovaries have been surgically removed or after radiation or chemotherapy or from medications that induce menopause as part of a treatment for a specific disease or a gender change. So I, there's definitely lots of different reasons why, you know, how women get to it. But I do want to make an important point, and I want to convey that menopause in general is not a disease, but rather a phase of life. And a lot of people will say, you know, will think of it as a, as a disease, but it's not. It's actually our third act of life. Right. And all women go through it, right? Like there's no avoiding it. Right. If we're blessed, yeah. <laughs> blessed <laughs> enough to live long enough, right? Yeah, if you exactly. think about yeah. it, it's we're living long enough to be able to go through it, yeah. So you mentioned the symptoms of menopause. Can you sort of explain what they might be? Oh gosh, there are so many different symptoms. And I've spent the last four and a half years literally researching symptoms and what is happening to our body. So I'm just going to back up before I get into them for a second. So when I was actually going through perimenopause, I started in, I had a daughter, I had my third child at 41. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, if I have kids later, I'm not going to go through menopause until a lot later. Because my mom had a hysterectomy when she was 50, so we're 49. So we didn't know naturally when she would go into menopause. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to have a child later. It's going to put it off. But what happened was, is I actually started getting symptoms pretty soon after I had my third, which I probably you're looking at 43, somewhere around there, I started gaining a lot of weight. I started to get when I was 47, hot flashes came on, gosh, like crazy night sweats, moodiness, anxiety, body pain, brain fog, I mean, dryness, the list goes on and on. And when I started experiencing it, I didn't really have a lot of people to speak to about it. So what did I do? What I do best is I research. I research incessantly. And what I found was that there are, before I started doing my research, that there are about 40 symptoms that were pretty common for menopause. And I had many of them. But when I started digging deeper into my research, I found that there were so many more than just those 40. So I started to track them over the four and a half year period. And I started to talk to women. Like I've spoken to hundreds of women. I was looking in medical journals. I started to look at apps and private Facebook groups. And I did surveys. And what I found was that there are actually over 85 different symptoms. And some interesting symptoms that we don't often hear about, like burning tongue, mouth or scalp, Itchy skin and ears. A lot of women are complaining about the itchiness, and especially on their ears. Creepy, crawly skin, like bugs crawling on their skin. Blood sugar issues, and like insulin resistance, and inflammation. A metallic taste in our mouth, and a ton of sleep issues. Yeah, sleep issues are a big one, right? 
they're massive, massive, especially for women in perimenopause and menopause. So not sleeping, like I have weird sleep patterns and, you know, sleep ties so intimately to the rest of your health. So, you know, let's discuss that for a moment, like how a lack of sleep can sort of impact your health moving forward. Well, sure. So a lack of sleep, we know, I mean, affects our mood and our weight. Those are two big ones. So yeah. sleep is important, important for repairing the body and our brain. And when we're not getting enough of it, it can cause a cascade of issues like weight gain, moodiness and memory loss. And we now know that there's a huge connection between sleep and overall health, especially brain health. So there's something called the glymphatic system. I'm sure you're aware of it, Jamie. Mm-hmm. And basically, this is a network of cells that clear waste from the central nervous system while we're sleeping. So you want to think of it as a garbage pickup and delivery service all in one. So it picks up unwanted cellular trash that's sitting outside of the cells, and it delivers key supplies or nutrients to the brain. And this happens when we're sleeping. So the issue with women as we go into perimenopause and menopause is that we're not sleeping well and we're waking up for so many different reasons. And again, through my research, anxiety, night sweats, insomnia, blood sugar issues, digestion, you know, or perhaps we're having that nightcap before bed, which might help us fall asleep faster. But once it's metabolized, we end up waking up. So there are many different issues that are causing us to have that interrupted sleep that needs to be addressed for women in menopause and perimenopause. Hmm. So if that's true, what is it that you can do if menopause is impacting your sleep patterns? I mean, there's a lot we can do to get a better night's sleep. So, you know, sleep hygiene plays a massive role. Turning off technology at least an hour before bed, making sure that we're not exposed to the blue light, which keeps us awake. Wearing blue light blocking glasses can help. Don't exercise too close to bed because that can keep us awake, right? Mm-hmm. Don't eat a big meal before bed at least three to four hours because we don't want to, you know, we want when we're sleeping, we want to repair. We don't want to be busy digesting, which can wake us up. Make sure our room is completely dark and mm-hmm. cool. So that's a big one for women in perimenopause and menopause. Make sure your room is cold. If you need a fan, if you need to sleep with ice packs, you know, yep. do what you have to do. But the 65 to 68 degrees is really, really crucial. And don't use heavy blankets. You can take a lukewarm bath before bed just to help relax you. You can throw in some Epsom salts, which are amazing. I'm actually a huge fan of magnesium. Mm -hmm. So you can take it, you know, through a bath. But also I take magnesium. So let's talk about supplements for a second. Sure. I take magnesium before bed. And the type that I like to take is bisglycinate because it has the amino acid glycine, which helps us to sleep better. You know, but there's also other supplements like vitamin D we know is important for sleep. Berberine and chromium are excellent for managing blood sugar levels. So blood sugar, if it goes high or low overnight, can wake us up from our sleep. Adaptogenic herbs are great because they help us cope better with stress. So a lot of us are waking up at between 3 and 4 a.m., wide awake to start our day. We know that's because cortisol levels are spiking at the wrong time. You know, something like L-theanine is awesome. It's an amino acid. It's found in green tea, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier and increases the alpha waves in our brain, which helps us to relax. You know, melatonin is great. It helps us get into that deep sleep faster. Passion flower is amazing because that's been shown to help with anxiety and insomnia. And so there are a lot of things that can help. But the really, you know, lifestyle plays a huge role as well. 100%. Earlier in the interview, you mentioned weight gain. I even think you discussed it in terms of your own journey. So how does that interconnect with, you know, women going through menopause? So when our hormones are falling, specifically estrogen and progesterone, our body tries to hold on to them. And one way it does that is by increasing belly fat because we can hold estrogen there. 
So weight gain is one of the top three biggest complaints. I mean, there are lots, but it is right up there in terms of the biggest complaints for women in menopause. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got hot flashes, night sweats, you've got stress, anxiety, you've got weight gain, right? And stress also plays a major role in weight gain during menopause because of cortisol levels. Right. So when we're stressed, we release cortisol, and, and high cortisol levels can lead to weight gain. It slows our metabolism. It leads to a sugar cravings and increased belly fat. Okay. So if that's true, then what are some things that women can do if they're experiencing weight gain through menopause? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a loaded question and there's so much we can do, but I mean, and literally, you know, really quickly, you know, research shows that intermittent fasting can really help women in this age group. So that's when you go 12 to 16 hours without eating. There's different types of intermittent fasting. Like, you know, I've, I've heard circumstances where people go on the program five days out of every seven. And then there's, you know, shifting, you know, narrowing the band when you actually eat. Like there's different ways to approach it. Is there a difference or is it just the fact that you undergo intermittent fasting that's going to impact? So there are so many different ways you can do it. I generally yeah. do 16 hours a do day. Okay. Um, I don't do it every day. You want to maybe, you know, five days a week and then because yeah. you don't want to do anything. You don't want to do every day anyways. So the key is you really want to try to go at least 12 hours without eating. Yep. And you can go and then try to work yourself up to 16. Yeah, you can do the one meal a day. You can do every, you know, second day. There are different ways you can do it. But in general, you want to basically go without eating because when we're not eating, we're repairing so many things, especially helping with insulin resistance. So the other thing we can be, you know, in order to help with weight during this time frame is being mindful of what we're eating and drinking. Sure. So example, alcohol can trigger symptoms, but also when we drink before bed, again, we talk about it affecting our sleep. When our sleep is affected, we're not, then, you know, that could lead to weight gain. So just being mindful of that, being mindful of the chemicals in your food. I mean, I wrote on junk or junk food, right? Looking at what are the ingredients in our food that we're putting in our body when our body is getting food, especially our liver, as we go into menopause, it can reduce in volume by 40%. So we really want to make sure we are taking care of our organs, our liver especially, which is that master filter in the body. Eating a whole foods diet has been shown to really help. And then lifestyle, it plays a massive role, right? So trying to really de-stress. I know easier said than done, but stress, again, leading to those high cortisol levels, which can lead to weight gain. So anything we can do to help stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system that's the part of our nervous system that helps to relax us, that helps to de-stress us, is key. Deep breathing, walks in nature, spending time with animals, watching a funny movie, all of those really help. So I'm asking for a friend here, but assuming that you had a male in that same sort of age cohort, let's say 50s, do they experience something akin to menopause? They do. So it can actually, they can. And so it's called male menopause or the official term is andropause. Yep. And it's a process that happens slowly over time. So although men's testosterone levels start to decline around 30, symptoms don't typically become noticeable until about 50. Yep. So a lot of the symptoms can be similar to menopause. So for example, like depression or sadness, low libido, hot flashes, night sweats, reduced muscle mass, weight gain and sleep issues. So I did a great interview with Bryce Wild yep. on my podcast. So if you look up Morphous for Menopause, we discussed male menopause in detail and I highly recommend if that's something I know if your friend, wink, wink, is interested in, you may want to check it out. (laughs) Well, I mean, some of the things that I'm doing, you know, it's a little bit intuitive, right? If you're leading a healthy lifestyle, right? If you're exercising, you just want to do a little bit more weight training because as you're building muscle mass, it actually increases your testosterone output. It sort of balances out. So, I mean, there's simple things you can do. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So you made some suggestions regarding supplements. Do you have a brand that you recommend? So I work with uh, New Roots Herbal, and I trust their research and products. And they, what I love about them is that they have a ton of product options you can choose from. 
So they've got hundreds of SKUs. So if you, you go to a health food store, that's where they're sold. You can ask the people who work there for new roots herbal products. Is there specific products you're looking into, like your vitamin D, you know, D3 plus K2 or your magnesium? I mean, they literally have so many products you can choose from. Or you can go to their website at newrootsherbal.ca as well. Okay. And we have time for one last question. Okay. And that is, if people wanted more information about menopause, what resources would you direct them to? So I would absolutely recommend they go visit my website, which is We Are Morphous. It's M-O-R-P-H-U-S. So think of it as metamorphosis yeah. with an us. So together as a community, we are all changing. So it's wearemorphous.com. And then also I'm on TikTok. You can check out my TikTok page at Andrea Donsky. I'm on Instagram as well. And then you can also, we have a private Facebook group. You can even go to YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts and just search Morphous, M-O-R-P-H for menopause. And it should come up there too. So we're, we're everywhere. So for those who are listening, we're going to provide the link on the website at thetonic.ca directly to Morphus. If you weren't able to quickly jot it down, you can visit the website at thetonic.ca and connect with Andrea. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Hope we can do so soon. That was Andrea Donsky. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to get over perfectionism on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She helps overachieving, people-pleasing perfectionists to find balance in their life. She knows it's possible to break through anxiety and self-doubt and step into a life filled with confidence by incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down. For more information, you can reach out to heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. So perfectionism, getting over perfectionism. If you're perfect, why would you want to change? Oh, well, we're going to talk about why it might not be so perfect underneath. (laughs) Okay. So, all right. What do you mean by perfectionism? Maybe we're talking about different things. Yeah. So let's define it. So really simple. Perfectionism is trying to be the best in all that you do, which by itself doesn't sound so bad. I mean, who doesn't want to give 100% in their lives? But perfectionism, and this is the key part, it's motivated by a fear of failure and usually self-criticism is the main motivational tool. And I had this tendency for years. I presented this perfect view to the world, and I was praised for being detail-oriented and always turning in high-quality work, being on top of everything. 
and on the ball. But underneath, I was stressed out. I needed to control everything, and I would struggle over small decisions, like what font to use, what restaurants to take friends to, because what if I chose wrong? And my inner voice was so critical, which is, is a key feature of it. And I was thinking that I was completely worthless if I made a small mistake. And I don't think I'm alone in this type of tendency. I'm seeing it more and more in my practice that people are struggling with this. We feel like we always have to be achieving and doing it perfectly. Yeah, I have a pretty negative internal voice and I can dwell on the minutia. And mm. when something is important to me, I will certainly throw myself into it. That is for sure. So I understand mm-hmm. what you're, but I don't know if anybody would consider me to be a perfectionist. That's interesting. Maybe I want to be, but I'm not quite there, which is the worst of both worlds. I'm making myself mm-hmm. crazy and I'm not even perfect, but uh, <laughs> I mean, nobody is like perfectionists rarely are. Are no, actually perfect. But yeah, a lot of that internal voice, it sounds like sort of the same. I come from a profession law where, you know, there are a lot of people like that, a lot. And it's very high stress. So I understand. Um, How do these tendencies sort of show up in people's lives? Like, how do they manifest? How would you know if you didn't know already that perhaps you're one of these types of perfectionists? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll share with you some common things that it might show up as. So if you're a perfectionist, it might look like it takes you a really long time to do simple tasks because you think it needs to be done perfectly. So you might retype a short email 10 times, worrying that you made a spelling mistake or you know, what if someone interprets this the wrong way? Perfectionists also feel rarely satisfied. So as soon as you accomplish one thing, you're on to the next. You don't take time to celebrate the wins. It's, it's boom, on to the next. Mm-hmm. And as well, you might not try new activities or you might not stick with new hobbies because you want to be good at it right away. There's no room for growth here. There's no, no trial and error. And also, people who are perfectionists are also usually procrastinators because they don't want to act until everything is is just perfect. And so they delay having to make a decision because if this, this fear of failure looms in your mind, what if you chose wrong? The stakes are so high. And if, if you don't try, then you can't fail. Yeah, I am a world-class procrastinator. That is for sure. That's external. But what's behind the scenes? Like, What are some of the patterns and thinking patterns that perfectionists have that manifest in the results that you just sort of talked about? So some of what we might see, or we see usually, we call them cognitive distortions. So things that turn up for people in inside and in their thinking patterns. So something like all or nothing or black and white thinking is a really common one. So someone might believe that if they can't do it exactly right, then why do it at all? So let me give you an example here. So I had a friend's birthday before and I wanted to craft the perfect birthday message for them. And so I stressed about it for days and I couldn't come up with anything that seemed just right. And so I didn't end up reaching out and sending them a message at all. So this Mm. all or nothing thinking led me to miss out on a connection that I could have had or a chance to make someone else feel good, even if it wasn't wordsmithed, you know, exactly how I wanted it to. Got it. Okay. So we see that. We also see often somebody would have like should type of thinking where perfectionists might choose goals that they think they should. Socially desirable goals, right? This is, I should go to the gym, but I really don't want to. I should work on getting promoted because these goals will often get them praise from others, which they often crave. So instead of tuning into their internal needs and what they actually want to focus on, they're choosing things that are just socially desirable, but they might not actually want them. Got it. So they're looking for external validation as opposed to internal validation. Usually. Yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it all bad, though? I mean, like when you first described it, somebody who's trying hard to do well, I mean, isn't there some positive there? 
Yeah, I mean, we have to sort of draw the line somewhere. There's nothing wrong with setting and achieving goals. You can be a, a hard worker. That's great. But if you have such an intense fear of failure or if you feel not good enough, if you don't accomplish something, then that's rocking your sense of self-worth. And I think that's where it crosses the line. And perfectionism can sometimes mask more unpleasant emotions. So things like anxiety, loneliness, depression are often underneath. And this is why people pack their schedules so full is so that they don't have to feel what's really going on underneath, which is tricky because in our society, being driven and achieving more and more is is praised. And the types of images that we're exposed to through social media, we really just see highlights, right? And so we think perfectionism is what is expected. But the trouble with that is there's no space for then being a real authentic human who makes mistakes. Okay, so if that's true, if society sort of urges us towards perfectionism, how can we challenge that way of thinking? We can challenge it, I think, in in a couple areas. So we can work towards progress, not perfection, and instead look for those milestones to be celebrating instead of being hyper-focused on the end goal that is either like a pass or a fail. You either meet or you don't. We can celebrate the progress along the way. And we can also allow for paradoxes. So it doesn't really have to be one or the other. It can be both. And I talk about this a lot in my nutrition practice is that you can eat healthy and have the cookie. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And that can help us navigate some of the gray areas of life, which is most of life, really. Right. Okay, so that's philosophical, but like if I were inclined, if I, I'm not sure I'm a perfectionist, but if I was and I was inclined to change, what would you recommend? How would you start? So there's something I teach to my clients that I call the 3L approach, and it's really a practice rooted in mindfulness, and it's listen, lean, and let go. So I'll take you, I'll take you through them now and what that sort of looks sure. like. Mm-hmm. So for listening, we want to know what's going on. So let's say, for example, you're writing that email and your perfectionism kicks in and you're stressing over small little details of grammar. You want to listen to what it's telling you. There's usually a fear underneath. Is it that you're not good enough unless you're perfect? Is it that people will reject you if you make a mistake? Is it that you need other people's of approval? And so this step, this listen, looks like taking a couple of deep breaths and listening to what's happening inside, identifying what's the emotion that I'm feeling in this situation. Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it loneliness? We really just want to tune in. And then once we've listened, we want to lean. We want to lean into what's happening. We spend so much of our time not wanting to feel the tough, uncomfortable emotions. But emotions are great teachers that tell us things about ourselves and and our lives. So if we just shove them down over and over, they sort of get stuck and, and can't move through us. So we want to give ourselves permission to feel it, to lean into it. And so this looks like literally pausing and saying something like, okay, I'm having a feeling of anxiety right now. I'm having a thought that I'm not good enough. I can handle these thoughts and emotions and maybe doing a little bit of journaling as well in that moment to dive deeper. Mm -hmm. And then once we've done that, then we want to let go. When we feel a certain emotion, it often feels like it's going to be that way forever, but emotions will change and we can release them a lot easier if we give ourselves permission to move on. And this is really what mindfulness teaches us is how to separate ourselves from our emotions. We are not our emotions. We are not our thoughts. The one practice I use here to help shift my mindset and emotions is gratitude, is to grab a journal or even just look around and say three things that you're grateful for in that moment. So these three practices, listen, lean, let go, are really about tuning into what's going on, working through the underlying reasons why perfectionism is happening, and then allowing it to leave, to move through. Do you have any other hacks or ideas or tips that people can use in the moment? Yeah, I think, you know, we can also think of asking ourselves 
some questions like, what would I say to a friend in this situation? And that's a powerful one because some of the language we use to ourselves, I mean, certainly how I have spoken to myself in the past, I wouldn't even use on my worst enemy, let alone a friend. So this can bring in a little bit of softness or compassion. We can also ask ourselves, you know, are there any positives or or progress that I'm not acknowledging? Can we celebrate those small wins along the way? And then we can also probably use affirmations in the moment as well. They can be helpful to remind ourselves of what we need or or how we want to feel. So some of my favorite ones for perfectionism are, I offer myself grace when I make a mistake, or I am worthy just because I'm alive. And I also often use, I am enough for myself and for my clients. That's a really powerful one. Okay. Do you have any concern that somebody who sort of tries to move away from perfectionism might go too far and maybe lose their edge or not be able to function as well as they were before? I mean, I I hear this all the time that somebody will think, well, I've gotten to where I am because of how hard I work. So if I stop, you know, I, I won't achieve anything anymore. But I think people get to where they are in spite of their perfectionism, not not because of it. And we need to look at the true cost of it. You might achieve things, but if you're miserable inside and stressed out all the time, you know, is that is that good for your longevity? I think perfectionism drives achievement, but it stifles creativity. Think of all the things that you would try, the risks you would take if you knew you'd be okay, even if you did fail. And in fact, we know that people who are compassionate towards themselves when they fail actually perform better the next time than those who use criticism to help drive them. So it's really about taking our foot off of the gas. We coast a little, we find more ease and balance in our life, which ultimately means that we can achieve more. Well, that makes sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me back, Jamie. That was Heather Lillico. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living in a perfectly healthy body. Reclaim your health, cleanse your body, and extend your life. Activation makes all this possible by providing you with the best products for your best health. Activation products can elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. No matter how old or how young you are, it's their mission to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a perfectly healthy body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and start your journey on reclaiming your health. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Linson, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education, and her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. You can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinson.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's summertime and, you know, we're seeing people and we're seeing them outside and that's cool. 
and yeah. and we're pretty good hosts. You know, we're in that vibe where we know our roles and we can do that. But not everybody's comfortable hosting and, and maybe could use some help. What do you think about helping us out with that today? Yeah, I think it's changed a bit since last year. Like For at the sure. beginning of kind of the COVID summer last year, everyone was really scared to go in the backyard. But I think this year, you know, most people have had their first and maybe their second vaccines. So they're starting to go, I think, over to family or friends' houses in the backyard and they're eating. Yeah, it's true. And so then you kind of have to think about, you know, how do we entertain? How do you keep it healthy? How do you keep it bright? How do you make it so you're not, you know, I don't have any hair left. So you're not tearing your hair out, (laughs) you know, with all the rigor of being a host. So how do we not stress about having like a backyard get together? Yeah, the rules, right? Yeah, sure. So first of all, what I do is I always have sanitizer outside so people feel comfortable if they you want to kind of meet and greet with hand sanitizer. I know it sounds funny, but I think that's going to be the wave of the future, right? To kind of clean up your hands. Another thing that I think is a great idea is if you're serving a buffet, for instance, give each guest their own tongs. So they isn't that a nice idea? Sure. And it makes you feel comfortable that you're not picking up different tongs. So you have your own tongs. You pick up your food. You keep your tongs. And there are actually tongs that you can get, like at the dollar store on Amazon, that have different colors, like red, blue, yellow. So if you put your tongue down, you'll know which one is yours. Yeah. I mean, I would have been inclined not to do buffet style, just post-COVID. Like, mm-hmm. like there's going to be some people, even with their own tongs, that are just going to feel weird about that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I remember last year when I did go to a backyard, people kind of did your own bento box. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they actually prepared the food in little sections in a box and gave each guest. So for instance, like chips and dip and vegetables. And right. so there are ways to make it fun and more comfortable for your guests and yourself. Mm-hmm. Like the bento box. And even with, if you're used to putting out like a charcuterie board, because yep. people are really into that, mm-hmm. you can make little mini charcuterie boards for guests and don't overflow it just, you know, because you don't want food waste. Yep. Maybe ask your guests before, what would you like on it? And serve it up individually. I think that's a great idea. We went to friends last year and they sort of did one board per couple. I guess they figured, you know, you were were safe to eat. Good idea. Right. And then that way everybody didn't didn't need their own. But yes, along the same lines of sort of serving the food separately, but allowing people to graze. It's grazing. You know what, Jamie? That's a really comfortable way to eat because you feel like you're eating with your partner. Like it's, that's really nice. I like that idea. Yeah. They're good hosts. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the ways that you can sort of get ahead of the game so that you're not running around like a chicken with your head cut off? <laughs> Good question. So when you think of the charcuterie boards, you yeah. think of things like dips and nuts and seeds. And yeah. what I like to do is, for instance, at one of our favorite places, Costco, I don't know if you've bought these, but there's a seasoned mushroom that's, I think it might be deep fried, but it's like dried and crunchy and seasoned. It was literally the most delicious tasting prepared item. Like I, I typically, did not, I did not see that. Okay, oh, delicious. And typically, I don't buy prepared items. Yeah, like I don't. That. I, I wouldn't have looked for it because that, yeah. that's not my bag. But that's it's interesting. not mine either. It's not my thing. But I serve that. People went crazy for them. So if you find something that's prepared and fun, just keep 
that around. And I always say, as long as there's no allergies, nuts and seeds and dried fruit, that's a really easy way to always have something around because you put them in the fridge and you'll, you'll always have them around. And obviously, like different cheeses and crackers, things that you don't have to prepare. The other thing that I think is a really good tip is to get your dressings made up at least a day in advance. So for instance, if you're making grilled vegetables and you're going to be doing a drizzle or you're making a salad and you're going to be dressing it, the vinaigrettes, you can make one or two days in advance and just have them in the jars in the fridge and that will really reduce your prep time by a lot, which also includes marinades, right? Yep. So if you marinate your protein, be it steak, tofu, chicken, if you do skewers, you can actually thread the food on the day before. Or if you're doing cubed fruit, you can do little fruit kebabs, which is a really smart thing because then people just pick up the kebab. Yeah. And I'm in agreement with all that stuff. I would add, if you're going to eat outside, you also might want to turn your mind to, you know, how is that food going to react to being outside, particularly if it's hot out, right? So for example, when you mentioned cheese, I happen to love cheese. My first job ever was at a cheese shop. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. And there's some cheese that are great that are like firm and you, you know, you can put them out in the heat and they'll, they'll be fine. But then other cheeses, they get like sweaty or they get melty in ways that aren't necessarily appealing. So you kind of, and it's the same thing with charcuterie, right? Like some meats you can put out there and they'll be fine, you know, for a little while, but then, you know, those plates tend to look sad after a little while, particularly if it's hot. So you need to sort of conceptualize that. Slimy. Do you know what's kind of cool? And this is a really fun tip. I don't know if you've seen this. If you take the meats, like let's say, the pliable meats like turkey or prosciutto or something you can actually make little meat roses out of them have you seen that it's It's so pretty and yeah if they're standing up tall they're not going to go limp hopefully right the other thing you have to think about is also cheese meat uh, food safety, yeah. Yeah, it's high fat content and high salt content, so you mm-hmm. have to sort of make sure you got your drinks all ready, right? Oh, absolutely. And I tend to stay away from the nitrate, like the smoked meats, just because I'm a dietitian and, yep. you know, I try to kind of avoid the preservatives. So I'm thinking there are lots of ways to get around that. Like you could do maybe marinated tofu cubes, like extra firm tofu mm-hmm. instead of feta, because that if you get the extra firm, it's not going to melt in the hot temperature. Correct. What sort of things do you like to make? I know you you talked about buying, but but what are some of the recipes you like for these backyard get-togethers? I definitely, my number one are really fun dips. I make a muhamera dip, which is roasted red pepper with pomegranate molasses, and it actually has like breadcrumbs. Absolutely delicious. and. And you can't really buy that. Like, no, like, I've never heard of it. That's Really? Yeah. Oh, Jamie, I have to drop some off for you. It's absolutely delicious. It sounds almost like a romesco, except for the pomegranate, right? Like, with- Yeah, it is like a romesco because of the roasted red peppers. Yeah. And the only big step is roasting the peppers. Right. And then you just puree everything. And it's olive oil-based. My other favorite dip is I do, and I haven't made this one for a while. It's good that I'm talking about this to remember, a guacamole with green apple, pomegranate, and red onions and lime juice. So instead of tomato, I use the 
apple, the green apple. It's really refreshing. So you're pureeing the apple into the, or is it left in chunks with the guacamole? Chunks. So you're huh. you're dicing the apple. Right. You're mixing the avocado and you're putting lime juice, fresh cilantro, and salt, pepper, jalapeno, red onion. It's one of my favorite dips. I modified it from a cookbook years ago. And then the red pomegranates are gorgeous, right? Like mm-hmm. the color, and then they just pop. So the apple pops, the pomegranate pops, the creaminess of the avocado, the sharpness of the lime, just delicious. So I'm really into kind of the gourmet dips as mm-hmm. opposed to just your basic hummus and guacamole. I like to jazz it up a little. Sounds good. What about drinks? Do you have any drink recipes that you like? Oh, yeah. Last month we talked about watermelon and we were really getting into... I really enjoy something with fresh mint, like kind of mojito-based. Sure. And I like the thought of pureed strawberries, watermelon. I'm a big lime fan. So anything kind of with cold, like icy and limey Mm -hmm. and fruity, that's where I'm at. Okay, so is that like a cold soup, or are you having that as like a, a like a drink? A drink. Okay. I'm not such a gazpacho fan, are you? No, not my thing. It's not my thing. Cold soups don't do it for me. I don't crave them. I know, but it's summertime, and everybody thinks you want to have it. But I, I find them unwieldy, and mm-hmm. the palate, it doesn't resonate with me being cold. Like, Isn't it funny? We're the same that way. And I think even a drink, I'm more of just a bubbly water with some fresh lime. Like, I, I'm not such a drink person. I, when I think drink, I think lime and fresh mint. Anything goes. Okay. If you've got some lime and fresh mint in there. Okay. I was more referencing, you know, like sometimes, you know, it's easy to have some bottles of beer or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff out like that or a bottle of wine. But we make batch cocktails. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can sort of theme it. So if you're going Mediterranean, you can go one direction or Spanish, you can go another. They're big on their gin with in Spain. Mm-hmm. So you can go a different direction. That, that was sort of my thought with it. Yeah. And you theme it according to the ethnicity of the food. I love that. Yeah. That works. Cool. All right. Well, that's all the time we have on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a great summer, Jamie. That was Shauna Linz. And we have to take a short break, but we will be right back on The Tonic. Are you looking for a fast track program to hit the ground running, speed up your success and build a coaching business on your own terms? You can launch your own lucrative coaching career in two days with the Certified Coach Practitioner Program. This program inspires you to take that first step in your coaching career, teaches you the ins and outs of coaching, gives you unique tools and resources for your client meetings and offers continual support so you can start your coaching career on the right foot. With the Certified Coach Practitioner Training Program, you'll go from being busy with a desperate need for a change to running a lucrative and bankable coaching business that fits your lifestyle. For more information, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. Looking for a potent natural formula for varicose veins? Nutripure Circulex's unique blend rapidly alleviates heavy legs, cramping, varicose veins, and chronic venous insufficiency. Circulex's powerful combination of grapeseed extract, horse chestnut, butcher's broom, and blueberry is a must. Talk to NutriPure's experts on their social media platforms to learn how to manage your health issues all naturally. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. 
Toronto. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Aaron Boynton, or Dr. B, is an orthopedic surgeon with a unique approach to musculoskeletal pain, blending both the art and science of medicine. As the first female orthopedic surgeon to work with the MLB and the NHL, she has extensive experience in dealing with overuse or wear and tear injuries. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm doing great, Jamie. How about yourself? Well, you know, I have these, you know, aches and pains that come with having just turned 55. And (laughs) I know know some of them are here to stay because I know that as we get older, it affects our muscles, tendons and bones, right? It does. And it's kind of a drag. I got to admit that when I was in medical school, And, you know, I was in my early 20s and we got to the point with, you know, we're looking at bones and the muscles and they said, okay, you've got your peak bone mass at 25 Mm -hmm. and you've got your peak muscle strength at 25. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is it. And I was really shocked to learn that we do deteriorate sort of naturally over our lifetime. We lose between one and two percent of our bone mass as we age per year. And our muscles actually have a natural depletion. It's called sarcopenia starting in your 30s. And we can lose between 3 to 5% of our muscle mass per decade. So I was pretty disappointed to hear this. You know, we can slow that curve, right? And, and in some circumstances, we can, you know, depending on who we are and what we're doing, we can even add muscle mass as we age, though. It is possible, isn't it? 100%. And I'm living proof of it. Yeah, so I'm am I. older than you. And I'm a tennis nut. And that's one of the things that I think is beautiful about our musculoskeletal system. If you stress it, it responds by getting stronger. And one of the things that I think has really been neglected in the medical community is, is really promoting keeping our muscles strong. Because when we yep. have strong muscles... Our muscles are attached to our bones by tendons. When we have a strong muscle pulling on the bone, we actually keep the bones strong as well. So these guys go hand in hand. Right. Well, we'll talk about what we can do later. Let's talk about like how we know whether our muscles are atrophying or, or whether, you know, we have bone density issues like osteoporosis. What are the symptoms of all this? Some of the symptoms, the osteoporosis or losing your bone mass is kind of insidious. So it's important you actually go to your doctor and get your bone density checked once you're over 40, particularly for women. But if you get to a certain point, you may experience pain in your bones, aching, and unfortunately, you may develop fractures. And commonly, we will develop fractures in our spine. And I believe at some point, we're going to talk about a dowager's hump, which is a, a deformity that can develop with osteoporosis in the spine. And then if you fall, you're more susceptible to fractures once your bone density goes beyond a certain point. With our muscle atrophy, you may just notice more fatigue. The muscles may become more painful after you cut the lawn or after you go up and down stairs because you don't have as good muscle mass. And also people can experience difficulties with their balance. And so it can be problematic. All right. So those are the signs that there may be an issue. And unfortunately, you may not even know about osteoporosis unless you get tested. Is there anything we can do to prevent it? 
Well, this is the key. I think there's two key things. One is be really active and healthy when you're young, because if you have a greater bone density when you're 25, if you start losing some of your bone mass and you've got a high bone density, then you can live longer before you cross a threshold where you're at risk for fracture. And similarly with your muscles, if you take good care of your muscles and you're active when you're younger and you've got bigger muscles, if you start losing your muscle mass as you age, you still are going to have pretty good muscles. So one is prevention, and you do that by eating well and being active. But then say you, you missed the boat and you didn't realize this, you didn't go to medical school and, yep. you, and you didn't understand this. Yeah, you went, to, you went to law school and you had like a bad <laughs> lifestyle. And then like, let's say like me, like you had a, a, a midlife crisis slash change in careers <laughs> and you learned about it really late in the curve. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so there's hope. There yeah. is hope. You need to make sure that you've got a well-rounded diet. Mm -hmm. so that you can put the proteins and you put the molecules in there to maintain what you've got. And then the key really is to stay active doing exercise. Our body will respond to the stimulus of the stress of exercise. And and I recommend variety. I think that if we do some cardio and we do some resistance training, then this is the best combination. The cardio is great for bringing new blood vessels and blood supply to the bone and the muscles, while the resistance training is very good for actually building muscle and bone mass. I would recommend doing exercises that involve the whole body. So lunges, squats, push-ups, and then cardio, walking, bicycling, swimming. These kind of activities really are ideal. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like using machines and, you know, my father-in-law, for example, loves his elliptical and, you know, it's better than doing nothing, right? Like if your choice is between sitting on the couch and and being potato-like and doing something, I would always say do something. But I think, uh, you know, I'm with you. I think like going for a walk is probably one of the best things that you can do as opposed to doing nothing. And I also think when we're talking about building muscle, we should, I, I don't want to scare people. It doesn't mean that you have to get a bench and a set of dumbbells and barbells, right? Like you can use your own body weight to do these resistance training, right? Absolutely. And think about it. You know, your arm actually weighs something. Yeah. In fact, you know, your arm is about 6% of your body weight. So, you know, a 150 pound person, you're lifting five pounds every time you lift your arm over your head. And if you've got pain in particular, you don't want to be adding a weight. You want to learn good techniques so that you're activating those neglected muscles, the deep core muscles, get them going. And doing a body weight exercise will allow you then to move around freely without pain. You don't have to become an Olympic weightlifter. And I think actually, you know, heavy weights are probably not necessary. And I wouldn't recommend them for the average person. You know, if you're competitive and you're working, you know, for towards a goal of being an Olympic weightlifter when you're 70, all the power to you. You know, people (laughs) can't do it. But most of us don't have to lift heavy weights at all. What do you consider to be a heavy weight? Well, that's a good question. I would say I consider my body weight to be enough, but really anything that's more than uh, 10% of your body weight is is a heavy weight. You know, when I'm doing shoulder exercises, for example, I don't do more than like two pounds, one pound, two pounds, lower, like a lunge. I might just use five, 10 pounds extra weight just to stimulate my nervous system and my muscles, but I'm not going to start 
throwing 100 pounds on and try to do my maximum deadlift or something. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's also a question of like how many repetitions are you doing, for example, right? Like, you know, you can get a great workout with light weights if you're doing more repetitions, right? Maybe that's the way that you want to go, right? For sure. It, the key recommendation, and there's been a, quite a number of studies that mm-hmm. low resistance, meaning lower weights, so this could be either a, a band or we're talking for the upper extremity, the weights we just mentioned, a couple of pounds, yep. with 10 or 15 reps. We're trying to build endurance here. We're trying to keep our body supple and mobile so we can do our usual activities pain-free and have fun. Right. So how often, I know how often I weight train. How often do you do it and what would you recommend? I recommend resistance training twice a week. Okay. And then I would throw in the cardio a couple of times a week as well. So you may alternate. So you could do resistance training on Tuesday and Thursday, and you could go for your cardio, your running, swimming, bicycling, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you take a couple of days off. Yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a five on, two off. I, like I have certain days, for example, where I'm just doing straight cardio, and that would be, although there's strength involved, like a rowing machine, it's kind of both. But there are days where I just do strength training. I don't worry about the cardio. That's two days a week. And then the rest is sort of a blend ramping up more cardio or less depending on on how I feel with two days off like the rest days are important too they definitely are and we do need more rest days as we age we have to give our body a chance to recover but one thing about weight training and the resistance it actually it has very good cardiovascular benefits you might yeah. I'm sure you feel when you're doing your weight training that your heart rate goes up and there's a lot of evidence that short bursts of activity more of the anaerobic where you're yeah. getting your heart rate up quite high for short periods of time really is great for your overall endurance. I've got this program where I'm using really stupid heavyweights, like 35s for some of this stuff with the shoulder work, but it's very, it's 45 seconds on, 15 seconds off with a 20 second break after three reps, 15 times. And that's, you know, when you factor in the stretches, it's only an hour out of my day, but it's a good workout. Like I'm very tired after an hour and and, and the stretching. So, you know, I, I guess the message is, you know, like if you're doing nothing and this sounds daunting to you, you know, I would say doing something is better than doing nothing. But what would your advice be to somebody who is struggling with the notion of getting started? Walking, number one, even just standing, reaching your arms up overhead, stretching, actively stretching your arms overhead, just moving your body. You know, look on the internet so that you understand the proper technique for doing a squat. But when you are going to go grocery shopping, park a couple of blocks away from the store so you can walk a little further. When you're lifting a bag of sugar or a bag of flour, you can use that as your weight training. And any kind of movement like that is critically important. And I think giving yourself rewards, you know, combining, say, before you go out in the garden that you just do a little bit of active stretching and you walk around the block a couple of times to get your heart rate up, and then your reward is to go into the garden and and enjoy yourself. The actual anticipation of reward gives you that dopamine surge, which makes you feel good. Great advice. Thanks for coming on the show. What would you like to discuss next month? Well, next month, I'd like to talk about the Dowager's Hump. Interesting. I have no idea what that is, so I will be (laughs) informed. (laughs) That was Dr. Aaron Boynton. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Heather Lillico, Shauna Lindzen, and Dr. Aaron Boynton. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. 
For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every single home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you know you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.